Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, Conversations About Impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose, even more than your why. Impact is where your unique business and self meet the world and contribute to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. Today's guest on the podcast is Mika Hollander. Mika is the co-founder and president of Sustain, the leading brand of all-natural, vagina-friendly sexual wellness and period care products. Also an author, activist, and entrepreneur, leading the first natural sexual wellness brand, Mika galvanizes a revolution across wellness, sexuality, and reproductive health. Welcome to the podcast, Mika. It's great to have you here. Thank you for having me. He's had such an interesting path. He started Sustain in 2014 with your father, Jeffrey Hollander, is the co-founder of Seventh Generation, and it's a unique brand in the sexual wellness realm. And you're you're kind of, uh, and then you were acquired by at least, uh, uh, well, a majority stake by Grove Collective in 2019. So in a way, you're kind of living the the startup dream. So you start a company. <laughs> And you, it's acquired by a company with similar values. And I'd love to hear about that process in terms of what were some of the challenges around that? I'm really diving in right at the beginning. And, and also some of the joys of that process. And we'll go into other specifics, but just whatever pops into your mind. Yeah, sure. Yeah, diving right in um, to the end or the most recent sort of peak of the story. Um, you know, I think... As you mentioned, in some ways, uh, when you start a company, you think about what it would be like to be acquired. And I think for some people, that's definitely the goal. And um, it was definitely something that we thought about a bit at Sustain just because we raised money a couple times and sort of whenever you go out to raise money, um, you end up entertaining conversations around an acquisition. Sure. So, you know... I think on the one hand, you know, one of the worst parts of building a business is fundraising. Um, It's very distracting. Um, It really weighs on the founder and CEO and it distracts them from sort of the day to day of the business. And I think it's really hard to protect your team from sort of all of that. So I think aside from fundraising, just being, really draining and sometimes demoralizing. (laughs) It's also really, it's really hard on the business um, and on the team. So, you know, being acquired has been amazing for a lot of reasons. And I think one, you know, personally for me just has allowed me to not be in that grind of fundraising and and allowed me to really focus on the business sort of all the time um, Mm -hmm. and building the business and the brand. So, it's been great. The process was, you know, pretty quick um, and unexpected. We were going out to raise more money and um, an old sort of peer of mine, Stu, who is the CEO of Grove Collaborative. Yeah, Stu Landsberg. Yeah, yeah. He, he was, you know, someone that actually my dad and co-founder was, 
even sort of closer with and had been, you know, in touch with over the years. And my dad had kept saying to me, you know, he's doing really well. You should stay in touch with him. I'm sure there's stuff we could learn from him. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I ended up reaching out to him when we were going out to raise more money and just wanted to chat and, and told him where we were at and how things were going. Um, and he quickly sort of expressed interest in acquiring the business, um, and said it would be a a 30 day process, which turned into a 90 day one, which is still pretty good um, by acquisition standards. And, you know, it was a really emotional and stressful process. I don't think anyone's Mm -hmm. gone through an acquisition, um, and said it was, you know, a bed of roses, obviously it turned out to be great and the brand and the business has thrived within Grove. Um, but it was tough. I mean, it was, you know, you put yourself in a position where the, the acquisition and the deal is, is the future. And if that falls through, like you're kind of screwed. <laughs> I mean, we were going out to raise money and as soon as we, had interest from Grove, you know, and, and it seemed like that was, you know, feeling like a pretty great option. We put sort of fundraising on hold. I mean, we tried to continue, but it's hard to not just be distracted and consumed by a deal like this. Mm -hmm. So it was a long uh, summer of 2019. And, you know, I think one of the best parts of the process was Stu really invested in us getting to know each other and us spending time together um, to really build a relationship. And I'm so grateful for that because I think just in terms of obviously what the businesses have been able to do together, but also just what Stu and I have been able to do together, um, working together now is a lot of, because of the trust and sort of the rapport that we built up throughout the deal. Um, and everybody says, you know, whether you're fundraising or getting acquired, you go from being on opposite sides of the table to one day on the same side of the table. Mm -hmm. Um, And Stu made it feel like we weren't just sitting opposite each other, you know, that whole summer. Um, And I felt really grateful for that and feel really grateful for that. That's great. Well, and in terms of your personal investment in, in, I mean, emotionally in a business that you started that you were so intimately involved with and, you know, how does it feel to kind of let that go? It sounds like the, the partnership has been really positive, but still, you know, it's, it's definitely a shift in, in your role. Yeah, it's been, it's been really emotional. Um, I think that, I've been so lucky in terms of the team at Grove has been so respectful of sort of my background and sustains mission and background. Um, And all that we, you know, everything that we've built with sustain is, is really respected at Grove and I've been able to continue to lead the brand and the business. Um, But it's different. Mm-hmm. It's it's totally different. You know, I don't call the shots. Um, and the great part of that is I don't have all the responsibility on my shoulders all the time. <laughs> right. um, but it, it was a really emotional journey in summer. And I think it took about five months after the deal for me to feel sort of like balanced. Um, hmm. Because I was so 
all consumed by sustain for, you know, over six years of working on it. And my personal identity was completely wrapped up in um, the business. I mean, I remember last spring I was on a retreat and I was doing like a mapping exercise of like, what, what is your life? You know, what, what, what are the different pieces? How do you fill your time? How do you sort of evaluate and identify yourself? And, you know, it's just, it was just work and sustain was 95% of everything. Um, And by the way, like I have a great family and husband, (laughs) but they weren't, you know, they're, they, the energy and identity that I sort of carried around with myself was all work and that was it. And Mm -hmm. so to go from that to now you're part of a much bigger company and um, you're, that's just a part of your life. That's not your life now. Um, Mm -hmm. There's other things to think about. And, you know, there's other things even just happening at Grove outside of Sustain that I've gotten to work on. So it it was a big transition. Um, And I think it's, it was an important one in that, you know, if and when I start another business, I think there needs to be a little bit of a line and separation between sort of like, your identity and work. Um, Mm. and I, you know, watched my dad go through that with seventh generation and now have gone through it myself. Um, and it was, are you finding it easier now that you're, you've, you've stepped back a little bit? I mean, you're, you're head of communications at Groves and you're, you're still president of sustain. Is that, is that right? Yeah. So I sort of, um, divide my time a bit I'm still sort of focused on sustain a lot of the time and obviously really enjoy that and a lot of the sort of grueling aspects of the business (laughs) I don't have to touch so intimately anymore which is great um and then yeah with Grove I mean I think you know one thing that Stu really valued about sustain in my experience is just how do you build a brand? How do you tell a story? How do you engage your consumers, engage the media, engage your community in your brand and make them really love it and fight for it and, you know, sort of stand by your side and believe in it. And I think it's been really cool with Grove because Grove is obviously much bigger. I mean, we're a billion dollar company. Um, and the joke when I started was we're a billion dollar company that nobody's ever heard of. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, sustain was in some ways more well known. Um, and it was kind of funny. So I've just been able to really work with Stu and the team to figure out how to tell that story. Um, Mm -hmm. which now Sustain is a part of, and that's been really interesting. And and I think healthy to work on some stuff outside of Sustain um, to just help me, you know, rebalance a little bit. Right. Yeah. I know you spoke in a recent interview about burnout and and how you were feeling completely absorbed by the business and just, you know, lacking perspective, which is what happens in burnout. And and you you share that you're committed to four things and um, is that something that you've been able to maintain if, if you, I mean, if you want to speak about them, the, the four things and, and whether you've been able to stay with them, that would be helpful to others who are struggling with this kind of complete absorption by the business. Yeah. I mean, um, 
the article you're referring to is something that I've been wanting to share for a while. And I think, you know, was just myself and have been over the last six or seven months, just sort of decompressing from, um, sustain and (laughs) the business and the acquisition, obviously. Um, and just trying to figure out, you know, what can I share that will hopefully help others. And also, you know, I think, as you said, like when you share something publicly, it puts another additional sort of onus on yourself to stick with it. Um, and so, yeah, before, um, we started talking to Grove last summer, I just had reached a point of like, total, I was just, you know, running on fumes. Um, and not, not because I just got there for no reason. You know, we had a tough year. Um, there just had been a lot of things that didn't go right, that went wrong. Um, and I was, you know, I was working around the clock and thankfully had like a really great team supporting me. Um, Mm -hmm. but it was really intense. And, I just, you know, I think I kept telling myself, and I think a lot of founders do this, you know, it's going to get easier. We're going to get to this milestone and it's going to get easier. We're going to raise this money. We're going to land this account. We're going to launch this product. I mean, you just keep moving that sort of, and not end point, but like that, oh, let's just check that box and things are going to get easier and I'm going to have more time to take care of myself and, you know, be a better human and be healthier so I can be more productive of when I am working. Mm-hmm. And so I just, you know, for a few years had kept moving that point <laughs> of when it was going to get easier. Um, and I remember at one point my dad was just sort of like, you know, it doesn't get easier. You solve mm-hmm. one problem and you'll just get the next. It, it's just sort of an ongoing wave crashing in your face. Um, and not every wave is the same size, but that's what building a business is. Um, it's tough and it just is problem after problem after problem. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and there's a lot of great moments in between, but like you're usually doing a lot of things for the first time. So it's a lot of problem solution. And I just gotten to a point where I couldn't, I couldn't even sort of, as you said, like I, I wasn't seeing things clearly. I was so exhausted. Um, and I just sort of, my body was just sort of shutting down. And so I removed myself, um, from the business for about a week completely, which is something I'd never done and sort of made these commitments and realized, you know, the commitments weren't on day one. Day one was a lot of like crying and (laughs) how am I going to, you know, (laughs) where do I go from here? And how could I ever, you know, take care of myself. My, you know, my business is my child. Um, and by the end of the week, I really had come out of it with these commitments to myself and some were, you know, small, like, I mean, they don't, they don't feel small, but when you say, you know, I'm going to leave the office by six thirty every day and just whether I have to do more work later or not, I'm going to take an hour or two off. Um, those don't sound that hard, but they're really hard every day. And so I found myself really because I had taken this week to step back, I found myself like really committing to these, these things that I had sort of written down. 
because I was like, okay, if you're going to just take time off and come back and just go back to what you were doing before, like why even, you know, why spend the time? Um, and you know, now of course, post Grove, like it's much easier to make those commitments. I mean, it's just a different time. And like, to say that it's not much less stressful would be a lie. Everything is totally different. And I've reoriented myself around like balance. I still, you know, I'm still an entrepreneur and I don't know how to not work really, really, really hard. Um, (laughs) But I know how to like stop now a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think I've really pushed myself to sort of enjoy this time where the world doesn't feel like it's sitting on my shoulders, but I get to still build the company that I love and that I'm so passionate about Um, and really try and enjoy it. I mean, (laughs) it's hard to enjoy it in the old world when there were these waves crashing on your head, you know? Sure. Well, and taking a week off completely, it feels incredibly radical at the time, even though it's obviously hugely beneficial to be able to step back. But when you're in that, you know, frenzy of activity, it's really tough to do that when you you feel like you're just dealing with one thing after another. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I remember calling my COO and I was nervous to tell him, um, you know, hey, I'm, I'm leaving in like two days and I'm going to not have my phone for a week. <laughs> and we were, it wasn't like, you know, everything was like totally smooth. I mean, we were about to go fundraise again. Um, and so his response was like, that's awesome. Like, you, right, you know, I've got this. And he's been and was an incredible partner. Um, that's great. But, you know, it was radical. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and it highlights the value of uh, really great team members, for sure. I'd, I'd love to delve into a bit around the, the way that you see the impact that Sustain has on your customers and the larger world. Um, and really, it's on both levels of both social and environmental impact, which is somewhat unusual. Most companies focus on one or the other. And yeah. and. The, the realm that Sustain is in, it's kind of further complicated by um, sex and sexual health being political issues, especially in the U.S. So I'd love to hear your perspectives on, on the, the impact that you see. Yeah, I mean, it's been a really wild ride when you think about sort of the social impact side of what we've been doing for the last five and a half years. Um, when we launched Sustain, we were purely a condom company. And we were way, you know, even though it was only five and a half years ago, like sex, tech, sexual wellness. I just saw in the New York Times this weekend, like someone was asking about vagina friendly condoms. Like these were not terms that existed that anybody was talking about or writing about. Um, The idea that a young 26 year old woman was starting a condom company with her dad was like, what the, you know, (laughs) weird people that you don't want to be associated with. And so we entered, um, you know, we entered the world with sustain at a time where like, it wasn't this, you know, groundswell of female empowerment and equality and me too. Like we entered at a time when like, things were just five years ago, like 
people were freaked out. Like people were whispering when you were talking to them about condoms and they were uncomfortable. Brands didn't want to partner with you. Investors didn't want to invest. Um, it was just sort of like, you know, you were treated like you were, we were doing something wrong. Like we were a vice company. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Right. And so the first like two years were really just tough from a, just getting people to talk about our products and our brand. Um, I mean, the media was sort of our first like wave of success in that like the father-daughter condom startup story was very original. Um, right. But getting customers to engage with us was really challenging, but sort of, you know, we chipped away at it over the first two years and we had made an incredible product that was solving a real problem, both from a, the physical product, you know, a lot of women have sensitivity or irritation to a lot of the ingredients and things used in traditional condoms. Um, mm -hmm. So when people tried our product, they were, you know, converted immediately. And the other issue was condom brands had ignored women as a consumer group for ever since condoms came onto the market. So kind of ironic. <laughs> yeah. 40% of condoms are purchased by women. And yet all the big brands had, you know, never even acknowledged women as a customer. So we had those two things going for us. And so we were able to build this really great sort of like core customer group and community from the beginning. Um, we had awesome accounts like Whole Foods come on board early because they obviously are a little bit more forward thinking than some other retailers. And then what ended up happening was, you know, 2016, um, you know, the election changed everything. The election mm. turned us from a brand that was incredibly niche and that was like fighting to even get you to engage with us mm -hmm. rather than like freak out and run in the other direction to a brand that was like urgently needed. Mm. Um, a brand that was promoting sexual equality and sexual health and reproductive rights um, was supporting from day one organizations like Planned Parenthood. I mean, you know, it became like, oh my God, we're the most relevant brand ever, almost overnight, wow. which was hmm. kind of crazy. Um, and it's, obviously, it's, yeah. it's interesting. I would have thought the opposite. No, I mean, I think more polar. you would think, I mean, I think at the end of the day, when you look at the numbers around women who support um, reproductive rights and reproductive healthcare access and all that stuff, like it's the majority. And I think what was interesting is before the election, and I even saw this with peers and friends and colleagues, like women didn't feel like they had to express that they stood for those things mm. and that they supported those things. Right. Um, and then all of a sudden it was, you know, we have to support each other. We have to use our voices, not just mm -hmm. the media and not just celebrities and not just politicians, like everybody's voice matters. And that's, yeah. you know, culminated in things like the Women's March. So mm -hmm. just being in that moment and having a brand that had been so authentic and attached to these issues for years and wasn't, you know, I think we saw during that time a huge rise in sort of what I call like the hashtag feminist brands Brands mm -hmm. riding that wave because it became relevant versus brands like Sustain who had been talking the talk and walking the walk for multiple years prior. We sort of like found our community or not found, we had a community, but sort of our community 
exponentially grew within a few months. Um, and 2017 was probably, I think, our highest growth year. And I don't think that's by any coincidence in terms of what was going on politically. Yeah. Um, and we, you know, we had, we launched more products and there was a lot of other things going on, but like we were received, we were heard. Yeah. Um, and we were able to, as you said, like continue as we grew to tackle these social issues in a much more meaningful way, um, yeah. as our, as our customer base and our size grew. Yeah. It's so interesting hearing your perspective on that. Cause one thing that struck me when I, I looked at your website is that it was, very much female focused and even the the condom aspects of the site are that way and what it made me think of is oh no is the whole entire onus for contraception supposed to be back on women now because we've spent so long trying to move away from that um, do you I mean it sounds like the opposite it hap has happened in the sense that women are just stepping into speaking up for themselves, uh, bringing forward these uh, issues that women have to deal with and doing it in a much more active way. Yeah, I think it's just about equality. Um, mm. I think that the narrative around condoms in particular and just female sexuality in general has been one of shame and stigma, not one of celebration and enjoyment and equality. Um, women have been forever sort of told that I think actually the analogy they use in sex ed still in this country is like, if you've had premarital sex, you're like a piece of chewed gum. Right. Um, and I, you know, I just would imagine they're probably more targeting that to women than men, just, you know, based on how yeah. things, how things go in, in the United States. So right you know, women aren't supposed to have sex. Women aren't supposed to enjoy sex unless it's to have children. And so all mm. of a sudden, um, obviously like birth control is a really interesting one because yes, we're putting the onus on women, but also like, I think that's okay, but I think we need to do it in a way that it's a conversation and that it's, as you're saying, it just doesn't put the burden all on us. And I think with condoms in particular, um, that has been a traditionally male-oriented sort of purchase and responsibility, but the risk goes both ways. And sure. a woman who carries a condom should be someone who's celebrated for taking control for sexual health, not somebody who's shamed, you know, to be a slut. Um, and I think we've always, you know, I, when we started Sustain in New York City, a woman could be arrested on suspicion of prostitution and condoms were used as evidence against her. Well, wow. I think the narrative has been really dysfunctional and, and men have been celebrated for buying condoms and, and carrying condoms because that means mm -hmm. they're having a lot of sex and that's what they're <laughs> supposed to do. Um, right. And so we've really pushed to change this narrative. And I think that we have, and I think that you can see that even when you just look at the percentages of single women using condoms um, today versus 2014, but it's been challenging and it's be, and it's sort of eroding, you know, decades worth of this negative in, in unequal sort of dialogue around sexuality. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you've described yourself as an act activist and seeing that entrepreneurship and activism kind of go hand in hand. And I wonder if that's, how does that play out for you 
in, in your work and, and has that shifted at all? Well, yeah, I mean, I think obviously from my perspective in an ideal world, all business leaders could be activists because I think that business has an undeniable responsibility and power when it comes to sort of rewriting the rules around social issues, environmental issues, etc. Um, mm -hmm. And really creating change. So if you can create a business where growing the business actually means that you're going to be having a positive impact on certain issues, I think it's incredible. And I think that like when you're in a space like sexual wellness, if you're not, you know, if you're not willing to go out there and take a stand, like you're actually hindering what you're trying to do. Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, for me, activism is sort of what fuels me. Um, I think I'm more, probably more of an activist than a capitalist in some ways. <laughs> probably definitely am. Um, but it's, it's what has made Sustain successful. And it's what has built our community and, and maintain our customer base. And like, I think all of, you know, a lot of the success that we've seen outside of having obviously awesome products is like, we care. I mean, the most, you know, common thing we hear from our customers is like, you have my back, like we're fighting on your behalf. Yeah. Um, we're not just like, you know, creating the best condoms in the world and making sure you can get them in 48 hours. And right. it's just been a really awesome experience. And I can't imagine ever starting another business that doesn't take an activist approach to the category that they're in. Mm, yeah. Well, and Sustain's been called disruptive, which is a term, term that's getting tossed around a lot lately. And, and so, I mean, you're speaking to really that aspect of it, I think, in a very authentic way, it's been disruptive and, and in a positive way. So thank you. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. been a joy to be able to build a business while, you know, changing some really important statistics and moving them in the right direction. Um, the U.S. is facing a sexual health crisis and um, obviously reproductive access is facing a crisis. And it's just, you know, sustain will not be successful if women are continued to be shamed for being sexual. Um, mm -hmm. So taking an activist approach to a lot of these policies and also just these issues is critical. Yeah. Well, I'd love to explore your leadership style a little bit because you're still young and, yeah. um, you know, this is your first, uh, and, it's, and it's been a significant one, venture out of business school, essentially. And I'm, I'm curious about the evolution of your leadership style. How would you, how would you define impactful leadership and, and how has your own leadership evolved and, and what influences have you had in that evolution? Yeah, I think, you know, in the beginning, I definitely didn't have a leadership style <laughs> <I just laughs> led by insecurity and hard work. Um, and, and we didn't have a real big team. So I got to delay, uh, not that it was a good thing, sort of figuring out what leadership meant and what it looked like for a few years. Um, and then, you know, as I mentioned in 2017, all of a sudden we were really taking off, which meant the team was growing in size. Um, and oh shoot, I had to figure out like, what does it mean to build and lead a team? 
And I would say, you know, leadership and people have been really challenging. I think the people stuff is the hardest part of building a really great business. Mm -hmm. Um, it's tough and it's, it's draining, especially if you really, you know, if you care about the people, which hopefully most people do. Um, and I think for me, obviously I had, you know, the best mentor in my dad who I think culture and leadership were two of his, you know, top areas of expertise in building seventh generation. Um, mm. But I also credit a lot of it to my COO that I mentioned who I hired um, a couple years ago. I think being a really good leader is a mix of a couple things. But the thing that I always go back to is like positivity and motivation. I think, you know, when you're leading a team and you're weathering storms, it's so important to stay positive, not to create a false reality, but like, I think it's a real responsibility to whoever's leading the company to stay even keeled, positive and not show, you know, how things are wearing on you. Um, mm -hmm. And maybe that's not what everybody would say, but I think for me, that's been, you know, a successful thing to remember is like, you have to show up every day and people have to feel motivated to do their job, to, you know, build your, the mission that you've created. Like, and that's not easy. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on and things are going wrong. So like showing up and being yourself in a really positive way was something that was really important. I think the other thing for me was um, finding a partner and being able to focus on the things that I was really good at and only I could do and let someone else or other people do the things that like I wasn't an expert at or didn't have the bandwidth for. Um, mm. I think leaders that sort of try and micromanage um, end up getting in their own way and mm. being able to release some of the responsibility um, in running the business was really important for me um, in being like a really good leader. Well, and, and related to that too is um, uh, not just dealing with people one-on-one, -on -one, but also in terms of building a culture um, in a company. How did you consciously contribute to creating that? And, and uh, I also wondered about, does the subject matter of your products, sexual wellness and period care, does that make communication more open and sustained, do you think? Um, yeah, so those are kind of two questions, but yeah, I think it did. I mean, I think it was a really easy screening tool when you're interviewing people. <laughs> Either they were comfortable or they weren't, but you couldn't come work at Sustain if you were uncomfortable. I mean, we were trying to create a future where people are having open and honest conversations about sexual health and female sexuality and reproductive health and all of the things. Um, and so to have someone on the team who was uncomfortable with that, it just didn't, it didn't really work. It didn't make sense. And a lot of our roles were, you know, customer facing in terms of customer service was obviously our biggest team and social media and marketing. I mean, those are areas where you really need to be comfortable, um, to create sort of the future and build into the mission of what we were trying to do. So mm -hmm. I think it did ultimately create a more open culture. Um, I think that also like for me 
and for everyone, a big reason that people showed up every day was because of our mission Mm -hmm. um, and because of the issues we were trying to solve. And I think when you have a group of people who care so fiercely about changing the world, really, um, and sort of righting the wrongs of the past when it comes to female sexuality, like people just show up both in terms of like how hard they work and just communication and openness in a way that is just different. Um, and I really cannot imagine building a company that didn't have such a strong mission that people really showed up for. Yeah. It's exciting to be part of that. Well, the, my last question before we get to the rapid round is really what's next for you? I mean, you've, uh, you've done a lot and what impact do you still want to have? Yeah, I think, you know, the two things that I've been really excited to focus on as a part of Grove um, with Sustain is one, something that we really struggled with at Sustain was how do we bring our mission and our products to more diverse parts of the country? Um, Mm -hmm. I think with most direct-to-consumer sort of millennial targeted brands, you end up with a very coastal business, um, Mm -hmm. a very liberal customer base. And that's just how it goes. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Those are sort of your first wave of customers. But I always struggled with how do we bring sort of a radical brand to the middle of the country? Um, How do we have the same conversations, maybe just in a little bit of a different tone or with a different entry point? And so what I'm really excited about and have been passionate about with being a part of Grove is Grove has the opposite customer base. Grove has thrived in the middle of the country. Grove has thrived in less urban areas that don't have access to a Whole Foods. And Sustain is thriving among Grove's customer base because we've just continued to have the same, you know, transparent, open conversation around these issues that we've always had. Um, But we're just, you know, doing it through Grove and with Grove, and it's been really successful. And so I always was sort of kept up at night about how, how are we going to really have the impact we want to have if our, you know, customer base is, I don't want to say niche, but sort of like specific to certain parts of the country. Um, Mm -hmm. And so being able to get into other areas has been really awesome and rewarding and effective. And I'm excited to continue to build on that with Grove. Um, The other area that, we're focused on for this year is sex education. Um, I've spent a lot of time trying to find that pressure point of like all of the things that we've been talking about, whether it's condom usage or reproductive health care access or, you know, unplanned pregnancy or STDs, whatever it is, you know, sexual equality, orgasm equality. What's the thing that, what's the thing that we can focus on? Where can we build a conversation and education that's going to help all of those issues rather than going after each of them individually. Um, and and an, I think it's sex and, ed. I think it's sex ed. Um, hmm. And sex ed is abysmal in the U.S. And I think Sustain is really excited and sort of uniquely positioned to sort of rewrite the conversation and um, what it means to receive comprehensive sex education. Um, and that's a big initiative that we're working on this year that I'm very passionate about. Mm. And that sure beats prevent, uh, preventive sure beats having to go back and solve a problem. It's, it's great to be in on the, 
the ground floor of just creating a, a better environment. So that's great. Thank you. Well, Mika, I, I always end these interviews with a rapid round of three questions. Are you game? Yeah. <laughs> great. First one is, what's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact? Biggest thing I've learned about having impact is that it comes with controversy. Mm. That's great. Wow, it's an interesting perspective. Nobody's ever said that before. <laughs> well, um, so you probably don't have a lot of condom entrepreneurs. <laughs> well, it's true, but... <laughs> Still, I, I mean, I, I'm really intrigued by your link between the entrepreneurship and activism. So I, I think it, you came into it with this perspective. It's not just the business itself, I, I'm, yeah. I'm guessing. Yeah. Well, the second question is, what's the one thing you've consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most? I think it's always leading with my gut. Mm -hmm. Yeah really trusting that inner voice, your intuition. Totally. I mean, I think if you're building a radical, radically transparent, authentic brand, if you ever have something in the back of your mind telling you like what you're about to do is not in line with who you want to be as a company, mm -hmm. you just run in the other direction. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the last question is, what's one piece of advice or an insight you'd share with somebody? Another entrepreneur is asking, how can I have more impact? How can I positively affect things? Listen. I think listening to your customers is really a powerful tool in figuring out how to have impact. I think there's a lot of companies that are worried um, and I've encountered this a lot that if they take a stand or you know try and become more impact focused that they're going to alienate their customer base right. um, and I think if you really listen to your customers and you engage them on your impact journey um, it can be incredibly successful hmm. that's great well, Mika, thanks so much for sharing your perspectives today and your story. It's um, really inspiring to hear about the way in which you're not just building a brand, but changing essential conversations. And uh, I thank you for sharing all of that with us today. Thank you so much for having me. If people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Um, at Sustain or at Miss Meeks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And that's M-E-I-K-S. We'll put it in the show notes as well. So, um, okay, great. Well, thank you again, Mika, and thank you for the work you're doing in the world. Thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to hearing it. Yeah, my pleasure to have you here. Have a great day. You too. Join us for more episodes. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio so you'll know as soon as new episodes are available. You can even help spread the word. Leave a review if you like what you've heard. Thanks for listening. Until next time, for ongoing support so you can have your own impact, join our community of entrepreneurs like you by liking the Work Alchemy Facebook page.